we're going to go into some kind of dangerous territory today because uh, um, I don't think I'm doing what's on the on the paper here in front of me. Uh, for the past, gosh, three months maybe, um, we've been looking at the book of Matthew. We've been looking at, at Jesus and and uh, his teachings and his doings. We finished a series right before Christmas called Doing the Stuff. It was Matthew chapter 8. Now we're looking at Matthew chapter 9. He's still doing the stuff, so we decided we'd call this Still Doing the Stuff. Matthew chapter 8 and 9 has a list of nine miracles that... Uh, Matthew wanted to include for his readers. Um, as, you, as you read through those two chapters, it seems that there's no rhyme or reason to why they're placed the way they're placed, but then as you read through them several times, maybe, maybe the two chapters together and think about it a while, there is a progression to the, to the miracles that were, were taking place. In the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about Jesus' teachings, and the people even commented, he teaches as one with authority. The word authority was used. In chapter 8, we looked at his authority to heal. In chapter 9, his authority is increased even more. So I thought it might be a good uh, a place for us to start by looking at the word authority. And I want you to think about that word as, as you see it up here, and it's on your little uh, fillings too. The word authority. Just think for a minute. When you see that word, when you hear that word authority, what do you think of? What does authority look like to you? Is it repression? Is it human rights abuse? I, th I think globally what's happening in the world right now of, of places like China and Iran and Syria. We've just seen it through Egypt and Sudan and Tunisia and other places in the Middle East? Or do you think more personally about the word authority? Think about uh, physical, sexual, emotional abuse that may occur within a family, within the community. I heard on the news yesterday that in Atlanta, Georgia, every month, 100 girls are sold into slavery in Atlanta, Georgia. And when you hear the word authorities, what do you think about? What do you see when you close your eyes and you think of the word authorities? Do you think of policemen or police women or police officers or whatever that PC word is now? Uh, do you think about the the people that enforce the law? Do you think about judges? Do you think about faceless civil servants? 
ones that we will never see, but we feel their authority? Do you think about the bureaucrats who make laws that are designed to make life difficult for us, the ordinary people, and then somehow or other they don't have to abide by those same laws? In some countries, it's even worse when, when you hear the word authority. Immediately, the people think of somebody that comes and knocks on your door at 2 o'clock in the morning and takes you out of bed and takes you downtown and tortures you and perhaps even murders you. But any place, authorities are people who, who seem to be able to run things the way that they want to run things and they're not answerable to anybody. In all of these cases, when I hear authority, I kind of go negative with it and think of people who, who can do anything they want to do, just anything they want to do. They're in authority. And they usually have an army to back them up, don't they? All the king's horses and all the king's men, they're behind them. Or I guess today we ought to say all the king's tanks and all the king's planes or whatever, you know. Authority means power, which means force, which means violence. We always end up in that cycle somehow or other. No wonder, no wonder that we're suspicious when we hear the word authority. I have a quote that's posted up above my computer at home, and it, I didn't put the, I should have put this on your, on, on either the slide or the handout. I didn't, I really didn't think about it until this morning. It's a quote by a famous pastor, John R. W. Stott from London, uh, All Souls Church in London, one of the two or three churches in England that are crowded on a Sunday morning. I think I've told you before that for Stott's church, people line up around the block uh, literally for a mile or more to get into the service because there's, there's a spirit there that is not found in many of the other churches. His quote on authority is this. The authority by which the Christian leader leads is not power, but love. Not force, but example. Not coercion, but reasoned persuasion. Leaders have power, but power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. A servant leader. What a fine example of a servant leader we have in Jesus even in the little bit that we've looked at from this book of uh, Matthew already, we can see that he was a servant leader. If this isn't your normal church, if you're a, a, a guest with us today, think about the other churches that you go to. Well, think about it here too. I mean, we're not off the hook either. Think about your church and, and see if your leaders are servant leaders. Are they people that are willing to get in there, roll up their sleeves, do the, do the work, do the stuff with you? I think my philosophy in, in business 
before I got into ministry was always uh, work right beside the people that are doing the work. I would never ask anybody that worked for me to do anything, not, not just that I wouldn't do, but that I wouldn't do with them. I loved serving beside the people that were doing the work. Now, I would tell them it, it, there, if it comes to a point where I have to do it because it's not getting done, then that's not right. But I shouldn't ask anybody to do something that I'm not willing to do as well and set an example for them. And that's kind of what we're, what we're looking at as we go through Matthew 8 and 9. What Jesus is showing to us is an example of what we are to do. And I want us to think about that as we continue through this series. And here's this word again. In Matthew chapter 9, the word authority. Jesus has authority. We've seen it before, and you can't miss it here in the Scripture we're getting ready to read. He has authority in his teaching. He has authority over diseases close at hand. He has authority over diseases at a distance. Remember the centurion's servant? He has authority over storms. He has authority over demons. We've looked at all those. Theological, physical, natural, spiritual authority that he has. And now, authority to do what normally only God can do. Authority to put away sins. Authority to change a person's life from the inside out. Authority to free them from whatever it is that's gripping them so tightly that they're paralyzed and can't move. What is this authority? What does it look like? What if there were a different kind of authority than what we've been talking about here? What if there were a different kind of power? A power that didn't work by having an army to back it up. A power that didn't have thugs that broke down your door at 2 o'clock in the morning to cart you off. A force that has nothing to do with violence but has everything to do with freedom and love, that kind of authority. I don't know about you, but I want some of that. I'd like to have a lot of that. And that's why Jesus' actions were so astonishingly um, effective in what he was doing. So much so that the people around him that had a little bit of power became very resentful. They were angry and upset that he was doing these things. That's why Matthew takes the two, the two chapters, 8 and 9, to tell us in one example after another after another that that's precisely the sort of authority that Jesus has. So let's look at the scripture, the main scripture today from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. In this church, we believe that the Bible is true. We believe that this book is the inspired Word of God. It's living, it's active, inspired, it's breathing, 
It can change your life. This book right here. It's the only rule we have for our faith and our life. So listen to God's Word. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this... Some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. The word that Matthew uses here in chapter 9, the word that's translated forgiven, is the Greek word aphiomi. Aphiomi. And it literally means to send away, to send away, sending one's sins off far beyond where they can ever be something that's a part of your life again, where they're forgotten forever. Remember last week I talked to you about an Etch-A-Sketch board, and and, uh, God takes that Etch-A-Sketch board, turns it upside down, and shakes it, and the slate's clean. That's the kind of forgiveness that Matthew's talking about. Imagine just one glance at this paralyzed man. Now, this is not something you and I can do, but Jesus is God, so he can do this. One glance at this paralyzed man told Jesus all that he needed to know about the man. The man had done something of which he was deeply ashamed. He not only felt guilty, but he was guilty of whatever it was, and, Jesus, and, he, and he knew it, and Jesus knew it too. I would call that paralyzing guilt. Paralyzing guilt. Have you ever felt paralyzing guilt in your life? Have you ever been at that point? where you know your actions were so bad that you can't go on. You can't make the next step. You can't even think the next thought. We might call it depression. That's crippling too. But I think what Jesus was seeing in this man's heart was something even different than depression. He was seeing a sin-sick soul. Have you ever been there? Does that speak to you? But this man, we don't even know his name. We don't know anything about him. This man had some friends who had faith. And they loved their friends so much that they headed off with him to see Jesus. 
I hope you have a friend or two like that. Faith here in this story means faith in Jesus' authority. They had faith in his authority. They knew, they had heard, they had possibly seen his authority in action. It's that faith to which Jesus responds. He addresses the key problem, too. Knowing that when all the symptoms or, or all the symptoms will quickly disappear, when you go right to the root of the problem and take care of that, the symptoms go away, don't they? He uses the authority that has been vested in him, authority to forgive sins and to bring people to new life. He has the right, he has the power, he has the authority, even in this present time, to declare that sin is a beaten foe and to send it away. It's gone. It's out of here. He has come as the Son of Man, as Messiah. He has come not to deal with the oppression caused by Rome, but to address the deeper and darker oppression caused by evil. And beyond that, he's come to challenge evil's ultimate goal, which is not just to paralyze us, but to give us death. He's come to challenge death itself. And the language that's used three different times in this story, in the original, for what Jesus tells the paralyzed man to do would remind every one of Matthew's readers or listeners of the language that they were used to hearing in relation to Jesus' resurrection. It was resurrection language that he was using. Matthew uses the word anistomy. And anistomy means to cause to raise up. To rise or stand up or to rise from the dead. To rise from the dead. I've told you so often to, to do kind of a parallel reading with one of the other gospels to see what the other guys had to say about the same event if you can find it in one of the synoptic gospels. Mark has an account of this story that tells us a little more about what's going on here. So very briefly, I'd like to read from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God himself? 
or God alone. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your, sons, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Get up, he says. And the man got up. He arose. Here's the big idea for today. When sin is dealt with, resurrection can't be far behind. When sin is dealt with, resurrection can't be far behind. Those who objected to his dramatic and authoritative announcement that the man's sins were forgiven, they were put away, were in no doubt thinking that that was something that only God could do. And you know what? They were absolutely right. That was something that only God could do. And as we talked about on Christmas Eve, Jesus is God. God's normal way of forgiving sins at this time was the temple system. He had set up the temple system for the people. That was the way it was done. And they had authorized priesthood that handled the forgiveness of sins. What they hadn't bargained for was that God would delegate this role to one like a son of man through whom authority of the right sort would be loosed into the world. And once it was out of the can, you could never get it back. He had done it. It was in the world. Look out. Over the next, over the next several weeks, probably four or five weeks, we're going to be looking at what that loosed authority and power looks like, see examples of it, and hopefully see how it applies to your life as well. We don't want to leave ever from here without, without some sort of application that you can take with you. First of all, I want to show you another short video about a fellow who was carrying around a lot of stuff. I don't know, but I'll bet that you know somebody that's just like that. Carrying around the weight of the world on his shoulders, perhaps paralyzed with fear of his financial situation of his relationships with his uh, loved ones or spouse or children or whoever. Perhaps he's at the point where he can't 
move because he can't think about what's next in, in life. What is the next step I need to take? I mean, I, I can't even think of that next step. Oh, what if that person happens to be your spouse? That makes it tough, doesn't it? How are you going to say anything to that person? You are probably the worst person in the world to try to fix the problem. So I'm suggesting that you don't say a word to them. But I'm suggesting that just like the four friends who brought their friend to Jesus, you do the same thing. Put your friend on a pallet and carry them to Jesus. And drop them right down in front of him. How are you going to do that? Prayer. Pray for them. You don't have to say a word to them. Matter of fact, I'm saying don't say a word to them. I'd like for you to try this little exercise of thinking of some folks that you could pray for. Ten people. I've done this over, over the years 50 times maybe, and it is absolutely amazing. Write their name on this little bookmark. Carry it with you. Pray for them every day. There's about uh, 50 of you here, roughly, somewhere there. If you had 10 names on this list that you prayed for each day, we as a group are praying for 500 people. Now, if you don't think a little church in Little River, South Carolina, can impact the world, you got another thing coming. Ten people that you know that you can pray for and that you can pray for and that you can pray for, who knows, next year this time, some of those people may be sitting right here with us. Doesn't matter that they come to Renovation Church. We're not about that. But we're about bringing them to Jesus. The one who can do something about their situation. The one who can take away their paralysis. And he'll say, get up. Arise. Take up your mat and go on your way. He can do it. He will do it. He has the authority and the power and the love to do that for your friend. All you have to do is take your friend to him. I'm going to challenge you to do this. And I want to hear the stories every time that I've done this. And I've done it in Nepal to churches there and when I would go back the next time they would say you won't believe well I did believe because I'd seen it work you won't believe my husband comes to church now it happens this is the way to do it. it's so simple prayer 
pray for the people. Maybe the person that's paralyzed is you. We're going to have some folks on either side of the room here who would like to pray for you. You just have enough nerve to come to them and they'll lift you up. They'll take you before Jesus. I can't wait to hear the results as they come in. And I'll bet you it'll start very soon. Jesus in his authority and power went to the cross for each one of us. And the night before he was betrayed by one of his closest friends, they had a Passover meal in the upper room. And he took bread at that meal and he broke the bread and he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you, for each one of you, torn apart for you. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Not just some, all of your sins. Even, even the secret sins. And he invited his friends to take part in the meal. As we invite you, the servers would come, please. I would... Um, ask that they come and take their positions. And at Renovation Church, we use uh, a wine. If you choose not to use wine, there's juice available on either side. You can start praying now for that person that uh, you would like for Jesus to handle. The one that, you know, you can't handle. What if you went home today and it's already been taken care of? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Take a moment. Prepare your hearts. The invitation's open to the table. Come. Come.